and welcome to the podcast. And my name is Amanda Farnan. I'm the commissioner for 1B11, and I am here with two amazing guests to talk about recycling in DC. The ups, the downs, and everything in between. So let's just start with some opening thoughts. Would love to have you introduce yourselves. I will go to you first, Erin. Thank you so much. Uh, my name is Erin Palmer, and I'm the Advisory Neighborhood Commissioner in 4B02, which is in Ward 4 in the Tacoma neighborhood. Awesome. And I've lived there for about a decade and in D.C. for about 20 years. Perfect. Charlotte. Hey there, Charlotte Dreisen. Really excited to be here with you all today. And I was with the Department of Public Works in the Office of Waste Diversion for uh, just about a few years um, and have been in D.C., gosh, for not quite a decade, but almost <laughs> coming awesome. up on. Coming up on the decade mark. We love that. And then to kick us off, would love to know a fun fact and then the last thing you recycled. And just for those listening right now, we're going to talk about all things recycling, but from different perspectives from both Charlotte and Erin. So Charlotte, last thing you recycled. I know you're doing this all day. It's true. All day, every day. I recycled a cream cheese tub this morning, a polypropylene number five container. Um, I go through bagels like no tomorrow. So I had a half and everything call your mother bagel this morning. Oh, delicious. Some bell pepper and red onion and... Alas, I did not have quite as much cream cheese as I would have liked, but I successfully recycled the container. Perfect. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I, on the way over, took my bag of plastic bag recycling to the grocery store to okay. drop it off there. Wonderful. Yeah. Okay. So for all you listening, that's what you can do. I actually have not done that prior, so yeah. I need to get on that. Oh, exciting. Yes. Um, I recycled a can of bubbly water. So what would that be? A category... One. <laughs> I'm so interested. Um, an aluminum can? Yes. So the numbers that we talk about are only for plastic. No material mm. besides plastic has a number, and we call them resin identification codes or RIC codes. So okay. aluminum, totally high quality, high revenue, super recyclable, but mm -hmm. it, alas, does not get a number. And why do the plastics get a number? They were developed by industry back in the 80s and 90s to help communicate just from business to business what the base material of a plastic item would be. And over time, because they're such an effective shorthand, communities started to rely on them to communicate what's recyclable. Mm. But it's not always a really good tool to do so. It can mm -hmm. be somewhat misleading at times since not every plastic can be recycled, but many can. So some plastics that have a number aren't recyclable in mm -hmm. curbside systems, but Awesome. Um, I'm so interested in the, the inner working, so I'm glad you're here with us today. Me too. <laughs> um, first, we'll talk about DC's recycling system before the overarching, um, and would love to know the first word you think of when I say DC's recycling system. Erin, how about you? Thank you. So I, I thought about this question yes. for a while, and the word I came up with was incomplete, which I was trying to balance that I think DC does a lot really well with regard to recycling, and we have mm -hmm. a lot of good and easy ways to recycle, mm -hmm. but that I don't think we have the systems in place to meet our waste diversion goals in the long term. So that's that's my word. Right. I would agree with incomplete. I, I would second that, but knowing I can't take your word, Erin, <laughs> I, I might choose solid. I think it works really well for the items that we can recycle today, but as you point out, Erin, unfortunately we can't accept everything that we might like, and there's a lot of room to improve to create new pathways for other materials. 
Great, and I'll take the liberty of being the host and share that I thought about that question that I was asking you all and think misunderstood might be something that's interesting. It's a great one. People know that recycling is good. Like, society has done a good job of um, communicating that base fact. But I think as you shared with the numbers and situations where certain plastics are not recyclable, uh, there are many residents who don't know what they're harming or helping by putting something in that recycling bin. So would love to go into the weeds of recycling a little bit and understand more about both your experiences with this system, but also just with the practice of daily recycling or a little more in depth, Erin, on your side. Um, would love to go to you first about your campaign yard signs. Of course, if folks follow you on Twitter, they understand that this has been a long but worthwhile process. And noble effort. Thank yes, you. noble effort. So, would love to hear your yes. name on this. Thank you. I love and appreciate being asked this question. So, I recently ran for DC Council Chairwoman, which is a citywide race and involved mm -hmm. a lot of campaign materials. We had palm cards and flyers and mm -hmm. buttons and t shirts and lamppost signs and mm -hmm. yard signs which come in different forms and made from different materials mm -hmm. and I decided that I wanted to go through the effort of recycling as much as I could as much as I could collect mm -hmm. um, and put in the recycling system and figuring out what could be recycled curbside or through DC's other recycling programs and what I had to get slightly more complicated about mm -hmm. so it involved a certain amount of information gathering um, and then sorting of materials, and then like this multi-staged process of what what can go in curbside recycling, what I would take to the um, trash transfer station, mm -hmm. what other people might claim to reuse. Okay. And um, then I use TerraCycle for things that kind of wow. fall into the, I don't know what to do with this bucket. Okay, and tell me more about this, um, the transfer station, because I think people yeah. understand what it is and where it is even, but what do you <laughs> discover there? Well, it's a, it's a weirdly magical place. If yeah, you go there, such a good way of putting it. Yeah, it's everyone's <laughs> really nice. It's it's so helpful. You can get compost there. Okay. Um, it's a place to dispose of things that you can't otherwise get rid of. Mm -hmm. So some hazardous materials, if you have paint or mm -hmm. things like that. Um, scrap metal is what I will be taking there. The metal yard sign right. stakes. Okay. Um, that's what we'll, I'll take to the transfer station. Awesome, and I would love to hear from you, Charlotte, on when that hazardous material perhaps is put in curbside recycling, but not taken to the transfer station, what happens then? Yeah, it's such a great question, and I'm really glad you point out household hazardous waste in particular. It is really challenging when folks put it in either their trash bin curbside mm -hmm. or their recycling bin curbside. So there's a lot of things like paint that if it were to go in your normal bin and make its way to a landfill, it could contaminate groundwater and be really problematic. Mm -hmm. There's other kinds of household hazardous waste like batteries or electronics that can start fires in mm -hmm. the trash and recycling stream too. So as y'all likely know, um, one of DPW's two transfer stations suffered a really debilitating fire just about this time last year in, in late July, mm -hmm. if I, my memory serves. And uh, that we, we don't exactly know how and, and from what it started, but in all likelihood, it, it very likely was a battery fire. Mm -hmm. So that has a, you know, we can see just how crippling of an impact that's had on our internal management right. of solid waste in DC. So super important that folks like, like you make use of, of all of those resources at, at transfer stations whenever you have things that can be recycled like scrap metal and, and really go above and beyond to bring it to the transfer station or things that could be concerning to put in right. your 
in your normal day. Interesting. And then how does that compare to things that perhaps people think they can recycle but cannot, but aren't hazardous? So I would love to get an example from you. I don't have an example. I am an aspirational recyclist, and I feel like, Charlotte, (laughs) watching you has kind of pulled that back for me. I want to recycle everything. I'm right there with you. I, You are not alone for sure. Um, I wish we could recycle everything also and it is really tough to tell what you can and what you can't mm-hmm. and some things are more problematic than others to put in the recycling system when you're unsure. So we always ask that if you're not positive, you know, when in doubt, leave it out. Um, mm-hmm. Better not risk contaminating the stream than, than um, putting that into your trash bin. But there's a couple of things that could happen. One, it could lower the quality of the end material that's being recycled. Okay. That's not so bad. You mm-hmm. know, the material, the paper, the plastic, the metal, the glass, you know, will still go through the system. It just may not be able to earn as much money on the recycling market as a commodity. The really problematic contaminants are things like plastic bags or tanglers, something mm. like a wire hanger or a garden hose that jams recycling equipment, and that is really detrimental. We have to shut the entire recycling facility down multiple times a day for workers to go in and climb in and cut out with box cutters all of those things that jam and tangle the equipment. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of communities, because women are physically smaller, female employees are often the ones to go in and climb into those machines and cut that that. out. So there's also kind of that equity. How many people are working at the recycling plant on an average day? I don't know if I know offhand. So DC partners with two recycling facilities, one in Maryland, one in Virginia, and they have dozens of people that work on any given day in any shift. Um, I'd be interested to look up how what the um, ratio is for female to male employees on site each day, and if there are only two, how physically demanding that is for the two females to go in and cut out every single time there's a jam. It it definitely is an overall male-dominated industry for sure. Um, That's fair to say, but a trend that's universal throughout the the country and, and elsewhere. Okay, and then um, would love to hear how sharing on social media has affected both of your journeys. I think, Charlotte, of course, you've come into the limelight, I would say, um, of DC local Twitter uh, with sharing specific photos of items that you can or cannot recycle. So what has really been the response? It's been so heartening. I've got to say, I never imagined folks would be anywhere near as interested in trash yeah. recycling as I think they are. And it is it makes my day, every question that, that comes in, where folks are curious and they really want to know and they want to recycle as much as they can, but they want mm-hmm. to be cautious about not putting something into the bin that can be. Um, so I've just been, been overall, my big takeaway has been we need to help educate better and improve right. the system because there is an army of people who are really excited and willing to use it and many folks who are willing to go above and beyond and bring materials to drop off if they know where to go and what to bring and and how to do it. Awesome. And then Erin, how about your experience on social? This is a great question. So in going through the task of recycling campaign materials, part of what I wanted to do was Mm -hmm. to document the challenges or where it's a hurdle and why we don't see the recycling of campaign materials. Yeah. And so I think of it both as documentation and kind of my record keeping, but for purposes of advocacy, because what I would really like to see is some form of a citywide campaign material recycling program. Mm. And I think it could 
potentially be built into the fair elections program. So I'm thinking through that. Okay. Like I like to experience something firsthand to know why it's hard and where it's hard and then yeah. go from there to figure out how it could work better and how you could Absolutely. get by. Yeah. Like you want people to do it. And there's so many people specifically in DC who are using these materials yeah. and who could easily use a recycling system, but right now clearly it's not. Oh, set there's up. there's so much campaign material and Part of it is that it's we're built to operate as individuals. So, mm -hmm. for example, when you're taking down lamppost signs at the end, they all cluster in the same space. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to touch anybody else's campaign signs. Right. Right. But if we have some system where you opt into a recycling program and at the end of mm -hmm. the election cycle, DPW or whoever takes them down and puts them in the right place for recycling, I think that has a lot of efficiencies. Absolutely. And I think anyone listening will know when they walk down Rhode Island Ave yep. or MLK, you know you've seen a sign from 2020 and it's 2021. So mm. awesome and interesting. We'd love to dive back into um, DPW specifically and how the inner workings of that have been either challenging or rewarding. Specifically, the biggest surprise I think is always something that uh, people are interested in. So when you were inside, what was the biggest surprise you encountered and then how did you kind of change that into a lesson or something um, that you worked on? Yeah, appreciate that question and it definitely I learned so, so much. Before I joined DC government, I spent a few years helping companies design more recyclable packaging and we looked at it on the product level. So we took a water bottle and helped them think through what's the optimal adhesive to use so the label and the bottle can be recycled well and what kinds mm. of inks and colorants and dyes and closures and all those really nitty gritty technical pieces. And then I came to DPW and I learned a huge amount of people put things into plastic bags. And exactly for the reason wow. we were talking about, it's really problematic to our system. And I hadn't yet kind of zoomed out to think about those challenges that take place beyond the individual item. Mm. And um, they add a lot of cost and a lot of complication to the systems. But one of the really exciting things to have been a part of was in 2017, our single family recycling system had about a 27% contamination rate. Mm. And DPW's been almost exclusively focused on getting people to not put things in plastic bags over the past few years. And we've been able to work that down from 27% to 11%. Wow. Yeah, and 27% kind of for, for context, it's, it's not great. You know, that's right. a bad contamination rate. It's not the worst that's out there. There are cities right. that have 40, 50% contamination Ooh. rate, but 27 is, is nothing to run home about. And 11% is some of the cleanest recycling that you can get in a curbside system. So there are cities right. that have single-digit contamination rates, but you're starting to approach kind of the tangent of, of what's been proven to be possible. And then, it's okay if you don't have an example, but did you ever look internationally at systems and who would be the model? that we're looking at? Yeah, it's a good question. So one of the tough things with contamination is that in the U.S. we almost exclusively have single stream recycling. Right. And that differs from almost everywhere else. Oh. So in, you know, rewinding 20, 30 years, a lot of communities felt that we needed to make it easier for people to recycle instead of having two bins or three bins or four bins, mm. or some places have five, six, or even more. Mm -hmm. We really need to figure out how to get everything into one. Yeah. And the way other systems work is that 
you know, they don't have the same equipment or infrastructure as we do. They're designed to handle material collected in bags. So okay. they don't have that same challenge that we do. They're designed specifically to accommodate that. Okay. And there's a couple exceptions in the U.S. New York City is one of them because they don't have alleys. They don't have dumpsters and bins like we do. So they put almost everything in a bag and have that dedicated equipment. But in more than 90% of American communities, more than that, um, we, mm-hmm. we kind of, we have to keep them out. Um, Interesting. Okay, interesting. And of course, I've seen, you know, the seven different colors lined up on multiple specific university campuses if they have the infrastructure and even in uh, restaurants in the back. But that's a whole different industry to talk about of restaurant recycling. Um, I was a server for years and understood that it was made difficult for restaurants too often. So that's another question I would love to um, conquer is how we can make it easier for businesses and specifically businesses who are gathering multitudes of these cans like soda cans, beer cans, all of that, um, and paper equipment. So that's just something that we can think about. We'd love to step back to something that we touched on a little bit earlier, but on education. So just as you said earlier, I think the 70s and 80s, just uh, the American system decided to educate society, don't recycle in a plastic bag. So now many people understand that, but how and what um, specific education tactics do you think are most um, efficient in DC? And so ones that you've worked on, how we got that 27% down to 11%. And then Aaron would love to hear from you from the hyperlocal perspective as a commissioner. Um, I know of course flyers are something that people always gravitate towards, but perhaps they aren't the best mode of communication. So Charlotte, maybe first from you on specifics that got that number down. Sure, yeah, and a combination of strategies, but not so unlike that flyer method, that kind of tried and true print mail. Right. It's what a lot of cities have muscle memory for, and there's some interesting experimentation with you know, public metro ads and bus right. stop ads and communication over social media, which I think there's a huge room to, to grow. But mm-hmm. most of the education that DPW provides to residents is via mailers in, in the mailers. kind of snail mail, conventional mail system. Mm-hmm. And in the kind of, you know, general context in the U.S., we feel that $2 of education per year per household is the threshold that folks recommend is good. That's not wow. great. That's not best in class. That's kind of the basic level of education that you, you need to be spending to kind of get the recycling outcomes that, that you typically want to see. And uh, DC has been able to hit that for the past handful of years, in part due to a lot of grant funding and support. We've okay. not often been able to dedicate that amount of budget to the amount of households you need to right. mail mailers to. Mm-hmm. But that's been really integral. And unfortunately, DC has never really been able to provide that education to multifamily residents. So mm. the multifamily recycling system is very separate from the single family recycling system. Mm-hmm. The what you can recycle is the same, but how that works in practice is very different. And sorry, when you say multifamily, do you mean condos or apartments at a whole? Thanks for for mentioning. Any building with four or more units okay. is what the the city considers multifamily. Great. I'm really glad that you raised that dynamic because I think it is in many ways a different discussion in terms of these less than four units and single family homes and how you're doing outreach and what's achieved there um, and what's happening in condos and rentals. And I think there are some equity concerns there as well. And I would love to see from like the elected leader perspective expansion of DPW services to include 
um, multifamily units. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a great point, and I'm so glad you raised the equity issue because it is a reality today that if you are a white household, you almost always will have guaranteed access to recycling, and mm -hmm. based on the demographics of communities and, and households that live in multifamily um, homes in DC, especially in public housing, mm -hmm. we know recycling access is much worse. And they're required to provide recycling universally in the multifamily mm. sector for residents. But we know in practice that that isn't enforced to the degree that we would want. And I totally agree. I think some combination, you know, we need to figure out some way to provide multifamily recycling access to, to folks. And mm -hmm. whether it's providing it directly by the city or really ramping up enforcement. So you know, that mm -hmm. access is insured is, is super important. Absolutely. I think in my apartment building, and I'm a renter, I always use the, you know, Whole Foods or Trader Joe's or whatnot paper bag as my recycling bin. Me too. And yes, and whenever I see someone who's that fateful person who will always be there with the white trash bag in the recycling side, I just pick it up and put it in the actual chute. I'm like, this cannot be confused, but I know you posted photos. When you see on the curb the paper bags overflowing, yay, <laughs> because that's what's needed. I, I feel you. And one of the tough things about multifamily is that a lot of the education that DPW does beyond those mailers, they do targeted campaigns and they figure out which recycling routes have the most contamination. And then they do every once a year, typically they do every morning, they, they get up really early ahead of the recycling truck and they look in a bin and if they see it's contaminated, uh. they tell the household, this is what's in it that shouldn't be. And we see that targeted intervention being really effective. Okay. Really early mornings for all of us who are getting right. up and going out. <laughs> but uh, but you can't really do that as well in multifamily. If no. everything's going down a chute or into the same trash bin, it is harder to figure out where that source of contamination is coming from. So it can be more challenging to, to zero in on that. Interesting. Maybe that's something that DPW could think about for the future. And, of course, something for owners of these buildings who do have budgets for this type of education or even for hiring of folks who can look in this recycling and trash and say, okay, no, I'm going to separate this out prior to pick up. So something to think about. Erin, um, talking about DPW again on multifamily versus single home or, you know, single to three story, I've heard from a lot of constituents and just folks in general plugged into the local space about bulk pickup and wondering if you have thoughts on how we do bulk pickup right now and then perhaps how we can do better. Yeah, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that this is another service that's different for the multi-unit exactly. multi buildings. And I also think this ties into the trash can issue and how we've seen overflowing trash cans yep. and then what now seems to be a removal of a lot of public exactly. trash cans for supposed misuse and the idea that putting your household trash mm -hmm. in the public trash can um, is not an acceptable use, mm -hmm. but it seems to be tied to some unmet need. Mm -hmm. And I feel the same way about bulk pickup that we see to some degree dumping because there's not easily accessible mm -hmm. bulk pickup for certain people. Yeah. Um, and I think all of these things are related. And if you want to put the burden on the property owner, there has to be, we have to have a discussion and fact finding about what the hurdles are because something right. something isn't working, both right. in terms of trash collection and bulk collection and even recycling. Absolutely, a fellow commissioner in 1B just passed resolution last evening on a, perhaps just actually asking the question, when there is one trash can that has over X amount of reportings from 4311 for overflowing or even for bulk, um, items being collected at that site, what is then the answer from DPW? Seemingly now it's to remove the trash can, which is 
I think the opposite of what yeah. what needs to happen. Um, but how can we then educate folks? Okay, if you need a place to put your uh, household items, this is where you go. I don't think there's an answer like that right now, besides yeah. the trash transfer station. And I think to go back to one of your preceding questions about how we educate and mm -hmm. inform people, advisory neighborhood commissioners are a good avenue because right. as Charlotte knows, as we know, it's kind of this nerdy cohort that really seems to get into the details about wanting to know how this works. And I think there's in many ways, but particularly in this realm, an opportunity for commissioner ambassadors or something like that right. that can help both in terms of getting information out and then the advocacy around what's needed to improve the systems. Okay, awesome. And I think that is so true where you have this cohort of people like people who have engaged on social media specifically who are even maybe never engaged with a local issue prior, but every single day we create trash as humans or we create good point. things yes. that can be recycled. So this is something that I think connects us all and if someone's interested in doing it well. It's such a good point and I've got to say I think Bulk is a really great example of the inequity between solid waste services mm -hmm. provided to single family residents mm -hmm. versus multifamily. Single family, free pickup by request, you know, you can right. get into a slot within a few days usually. It's really pretty, you know, not that it is flawless, but it, you know, there right. is a process for it. Multifamily, there's no requirement for multifamily buildings to provide bulk collection, uh, nor do many do it voluntarily. Right. So unlike mainstream recycling, curbside recycling, buildings do have to provide that. Whether or not they comply is a question, but there's not even that requirement for bulk pickup. Mm. So rewinding to this time last year, I was uh, about to move and I was in a 10 unit townhouse and my building, like most, didn't provide bulk collection on any regular basis. Mm -hmm. Some you know, really progressive ones do once a month or once a quarter mm -hmm. or even annually and I was not one of those lucky few and I'm not a vehicle owner either. So mm -hmm. I had to rent a car to bring a dresser that was no longer able to be, you know, be used or donated and had to drive it over to the transfer station. And even when we're thinking about, you know, back to, to your example of scrap metal or household hazardous waste, our transfer stations are, are unfortunately really inaccessible to pedestrians or by public yes. transit. So mm -hmm. you can almost only access them if you have a vehicle, whether you own right. one or, or renting one, which is another layer of the inequitable access as well. Right, I think that's a great point to make. And we'd love to then just pivot into kind of some closing thoughts here. Three more questions, maybe if we can fit them in on um, the, I had the most difficult and the easiest challenge that you faced in just your own um, perspective, but also experiences with the recycling system in general. So the easiest part, most difficult part. I'll go with you, Erin. <laughs> oh, well, I think the easiest part is the effort to have single stream recycling. That right. you don't they're sorting in terms of what's recyclable and what's not, but there's not the additional layer of sorting by material. Mm -hmm. So that does, I think, reduce some barrier, um, and I like that. Mm -hmm. In terms of what's challenging, so we recycle a lot, and things that we can't recycle curbside, we use TerraCycle, and it involves a lot of washing things out. Mm. Um, so it's like food pouches or chip bags or mm -hmm. these other things takeout containers, all of it. So I'm like constantly washing trash. Yes, interesting. Um, which is kind of tiring. Yeah. Um, and I 
I guess there's not really a way around that. But I think that's something to consider that when we're talking about recycling materials, they have to be clean. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a part of it as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Something that I also think not everyone knows about. Yeah. So people are throwing away that cream cheese tub without washing it out. I fear the same. <laughs> I feel like the iconic peanut butter jar is yes. a question yes. that comes up a lot. That is, it really takes some elbow grease and <laughs> some dish soap and some hot water and several minutes to, to <laughs> yeah. work through. It's, yes. It's true. So um, how about you? Easiest and most difficult. I've got to say, that dresser that I had to rent a zip car yeah. to and drive across town between meetings, I was cursing myself during that process. <laughs> it was not easy. And is really important because I think that for a lot of folks who work in local government and for agencies mm -hmm. like DPW, they don't always find themselves in kind of the user side, on the constituent mm -hmm. side, the resident side. And I was still with DPW at the time, and it was really helpful to put myself into the shoes of the average person that might be moving and need to get rid of a mattress or right. be getting rid of a you know blow-up pool that their kids went through and then the dog popped and can't yeah. be used anymore, yeah. or you name it. Something that's not fit for their normal curbside system. Um, on, the, on the easy side, I definitely would say that, um, that DC's um, food waste drop-off program comes to mind for me. I used to live just a few blocks from one, and it was a really short walk to, to cart my food scraps every, every Sunday to the farmer's market to drop off for, for free. But um, I'm, now, I'm now a good 15, 20-minute walk, but it's, it's a really easy way to, to effectively manage my food waste, I think. And knowing that we don't want anything in a landfill, but we especially don't want organic materials that will generate methane as they break down. Mm. So to have a number of free accessible drop-off points, I think is a really great thing. And is the, the food waste drop-off points, is that the same as the compost drop-off points? Yes, exactly. Okay. And yep. do you know how many we have in the district? Oh, that's a great question. I there, know. I want to say that there are now 12 operated by DPW's Office of Waste Diversion, okay. but there are a number of independently facilitated ones, right. some of which DPW foots the bill for and, and manages the material that's collected and just doesn't manage the, the front end. Right. Um, but there's there's a handful. We, we do benefit from having not many cities have the wealth of composters that we do in D.C., mm -hmm. We are pretty lucky to have a number of composting facilities and composting haulers. Mm. Um, it's not everywhere. My, my parents send me down every time I visit with Ziplocs full of food scraps to compost. Interesting. Because they're in New Jersey, and there are composters that service counties around them, but they cannot have, they couldn't pay, regardless of what the cost might be for them to mm -hmm. consider, there is no one who would even pick up their food scraps for, for a fee. So wow. while certainly we have a lot of room to improve for you know residential right. curbside composting and multifamily composting, we do have a lot of good options today that, that can be improved. Interesting, right. And just to add my two cents with the apartment um, experience, we recently acquired, we being the apartment management, um, green buckets that go in each trash area on each floor, and it is a composting bin. I'm not sure what company it is, I need to look it up, but it's a green bin with a red clip. So if anyone is an apartment dweller listening, you should ask your management team to get get on that. Love it. <laughs> okay, to wrap up officially, um, would love to hear how you think residents can really help. Of course, that may just be as simple as recycle uh, the right things, but from your own perspectives, what do you think that our listeners here today could do in their day-to-day -to, -day to help? Um, I think to take a slightly off course, thinking yes. about in the like re reduce, reuse, recycle mm -hmm. triangle that we were all taught as kids, mm -hmm. the reduction component and how we work away from single use yeah. plastics and some of the things that we don't, so we don't have to create quite so much trash because that's right. part of it as well. 
Um, we can recycle everything and it's still a lot of product that has to be processed Absolutely. and there's a lot that there's pollution that comes out of that um, and the reduction part is still very important. Absolutely. It's a great point and one that I need to take to heart. All Sitting of us here with this <laughs> Literally all container. of us do. It's, uh, it's a really great point you raise. I, I've got to say, I think that, um, I think not keeping it to, to oneself. I think everyone knows people who recycle, but you also know people who don't recycle. Mm -hmm. And I'm really always surprised. Every once in a blue moon, I'll learn that a friend of mine who's super progressive, mm -hmm. really into sustainability, doesn't recycle because they don't have faith in the recycling system. And I think oh. there's mm -hmm. a lot of valid reasons to be cautious and wanting to make sure you know the right chain of events are taking place in the supply chain but i think there's we have a lot of work to do i think in, in building trust there and definitely the more conversations that we can all have whether whether together in a podcast or you know at home over the dinner table is really helpful i think that you know chipping away um at, at the folks that you know best in your circle of family and friends is, is a good place to start Absolutely. Well, thank you all so yeah, much thank for you. being this here. Is great. It's a great conversation and look forward to more in the future. So if you're listening, reduce, reuse, recycle. Excited. Awesome. I love this song. <laughs> yes. So good. Okay, um, I feel like I learned a ton.